Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Joining me in center ring today is Janet Price. Janet is a neighbor down the road from Beverly Hills. She's in Malibu. The second best, happiest place in the world, Janet. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Thank you so much, Judith, for having me today. Janet is a divorce and thriving beyond coach. And she'll explain that more when she identifies what she does. There are areas of expertise that Janet works in that are a little different from other coaches, and which is why this is going to be fascinating, not the least of which is she works with children. Most therapists, and I haven't seen a coach yet that specialized in working with children uh, along with the other areas of specialty, so we're definitely going to get into what she offers for children. But her areas of expertise are divorcing support co-parenting coaching, parental alienation, single parenting support, new parenting support, finding work-life balance, and moving forward after trauma. It's a lot to talk about. We're going to cover as much as we can. And Janet, I am so happy that you're here. But like all good divorce coaches, your interest in this field came from your own experience with divorce. And really, there's a little bit of a backstory in how you grow up. Would you share that with the audience, please? Oh, yes. Thank you, Judith. Uh, So coaching in general, I fell into after many life transitions in my life. And I had for about 10 years been considering going into coaching, but life there's never a good time. And so after a series of changes in my life, I just basically said, the world's telling me now is the time. And if I don't take that opportunity, um, and, and that last series was after my final custody battle with my co-parent, as well as experiencing going through the Woolsey fire here in Malibu and my husband and I staying and fighting for more than 24 hours. Oh my God, um, Janet, wasn't that like three years ago, the Woolsey? It was. Okay. And because we stayed and defended our home, we were only one of five homes in our home community of 50 that survived. So that was kind of my, okay, I have to do this. So that was the switch. Um, and, and I initially started out as the life transition, as you said, and you mentioned a lot of the parenting and, and the new parenting and switching and overcoming traumas specifically in the divorce, uh, and thriving beyond space. My experience and my why is I work with the parents and kids. So the kids are not stuck in the middle. I do it individually or in group, but I don't put the parents together and My why comes from my own childhood of my parents divorcing when I was in sixth grade and being stuck, very extremely stuck in the middle, such that I rejected one of my own parents, left for college, pretty much had no conversation, never went back to my hometown, 
found. And, and all of these dots I did not connect to many, many, many years later after I had my a coaching certification that I went forth not thinking that anything was a problem in my parents' divorce. I got it together. I had my MBA. I'm out there in corporate America. I'm leading executives in negotiations and setting up programs and businesses. Um, but, and then I found, you know, and then I fell in love with my first husband and he felt so comfortable. And then we had this great corporate two working income marriage. And then we had children and I chose to quit my job and become a stay-at-home mom. And all of a sudden, the communication patterns conflicted and all of a sudden, things started not working out. And shortly after that, we ended up divorcing and um, in our, and then we had a long-term co-parenting relationship that continued started out difficult because of our marriage communication difficulties and only escalated and only continued to escalate. And we co-parented for about 10 years until um, at the very end, and I understand it completely, but at the very end, I believe that um, basically enough was enough and he he just didn't want to co-parent anymore. So I was involved in a um, falsely accused of sexually abusing both my two sons and went through a custody battle that took three years um, that never finished. And in the end, I forced a settlement. um, And that was six months before the Woolsey fire. (laughs) Wow. Um, And so life coaching, and I knew I would come around to divorce coaching, at, at the end and work with the children as well as help the parents um, on the front because it became very, very clear to me once I connected all the dots that my life trauma in my original parents' divorce and is exactly why I was drawn to my first husband. He felt safe. His communication patterns felt safe to me. And I they just... felt familiar, did they not, with what your yes. parents' communication style was? Yes. Yeah. And so I hadn't learned how to cope. What did I do in that first relationship? In that, I ran and never came back. I did not develop the skills of how to work within that relationship and solve it. And so... Then I didn't know how to solve the next one either. And, and so this is what my why now is because I've now connected all the dots where subconsciously it all felt familiar. Now it's in conscious. And now that it's so conscious, I see all of my actions. I don't put any, I'm not placing any blame on anybody else. I see all of the actions that I took that I absolutely could have done differently had I been conscious of it. You know, first of all, thank you for being so honest. That's, uh, that's a lot, you know, to make yourself vulnerable to, to, to your story um, for the public. Feeling comfortable because you're, you have muscle, we all have muscle memory. What we learned from our parents, even though we maybe consciously didn't agree with it or thought it wasn't healthy or well as we're experiencing it as children, 
it's still inside of us, isn't it? So that when those opportunities and those same situations come about in our adult life, we're not even conscious of, oh my God, we're repeating the behavior of our parents when we said that it wasn't healthy or good way back then. So that's what happened, right? Because it happens to all of us. It happens to all, absolutely. It happens to all of us. Okay. Uh, Okay. Go Go ahead. I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. I just, it, it's, it's, you know, I, it, as you said, I walked around saying, oh, it's okay. Nothing happened with me. You know, I'm fine. I totally rationalized my parents' divorce. That's how I thought about it consciously. I'm strong. I'm independent. I'll never need anything. I got it. I won't repeat this. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. I hear you. So, Something else you said that I wanted to ask you about. You and your former husband, uh, corporate executives, both working, you had children, you became a stay-at-home mom, which is a profession unto itself, huge profession unto itself, but your communication changed. Is it because the work was the common denominator and when your career went when your corporate career went away that connection went away um what was it oh it was actually because we both each had our own two different paths and careers so when we came together i was uh our our communication our communication pattern actually never changed it's that i personally was willing in a two adult household without anything besides dogs to just go ahead and allow for how whatever he wanted to happen always okay so when because i had my investment in my ego in my career so really the problems became when I didn't have an investment in career. Now my, from that standpoint that was separate and apart and we both were invested in our children and trying to, uh, it turned out what it displayed is we never learned how to collaborate or how to disagree and cooperate. We never had that in our marriage prior to children. It was not as of a big deal until children came into our lives, then it became very apparent that that was not, you know, we didn't have that foundation. You know, what would be interesting for a future episode would be to have you and some other women who became full-time moms after a full-time career to really talk about what changed for everybody in their marriage. I think that's just an interesting subject for a completely different episode. Um, So thank you for bringing that up. That's never been brought up before. Yes. Are your children still minors? Um, One, and one is, will be 20. So one will be turning 18 and one will be turning 20 this spring. So you're almost done co-parenting a minor. And then, of course, there's other decisions that have to be made um, Mm -hmm. as they grow up. But okay, well, it's a long journey, that's for sure. I really want you to start talking about Janet because this really intrigues me. 
when we talk about, you know, doing the best thing for the children, best interest of the child is the phrase in California and many other states. That's really fine to talk about, but extremely hard to wrap our heads around when we're going through emotional turmoil and we need to be taken care of as adults. And so there's a lot on our plates. And I think those words are great, but the actuality is help. How do we do this when we get into a situation? And then the kids, of course, become the byproducts of whatever controversy is going on with the parents. So can you please tell me what you do with children? I know you mentioned a support group for, for children. Tell, me, tell us everything you do with children to help them through a divorce. So, um, you know, there's nobody to talk to from a kid's perspective. And you feel very, um, as a child going through it, you still feel like nobody really understands. So um, the support group that is that I have is for, the parents are the ones that introduce it for to the children, but the children are the ones that want to attend. I don't want, they're not, the, they don't have to be there if they don't want to be there. And, and we take difficult topics and we, I make them funny. You know, I may be 50, but I still get zits on my face. <laughs> so I'm able to make light and relate in a way to talk about for the teenage in life and how difficult and bring up a topic and then allow them to chime in and talk about it. And without them knowing the strength and what I'm providing to them is helping them see ways to navigate so they don't feel stuck in the middle. What tools can they do to stand up for their rights to say, hey, not my stuff. That's your stuff not my issue. Um, I don't need to hear that, you know, or I don't want to hear about that. That's not for me. And please go do something. So it's helping them learn boundaries for themselves because that's the biggest burden that is put on kids is the parents don't mean to. They're actually many times want to work with the kids to understand what the kid would prefer. But even that, that feels uncomfortable. That just feels hard as a kid, because really as a kid, teenager, all you want to do is be with your friends and just have fun. Why do you want to hear about all these adult things and too many choices? Um, you know, well, do you want to do this or this, or what's your choice? No, I can't even figure. I mean, we're still planning meals for them during this time period. They don't have all those choices. So that's how I work with the children is, or, you know, with the kids is to really give them a voice and talk about it. What are the, what's the age range of the kids that you work with? Middle school and high school mainly. And then when we talk about. Wait a minute, is middle school 12 or 11? What's middle mm -hmm. school? It's 11, 12, sixth grade through, right? Okay. Through 18. Okay. And then really from when you start getting into the adult, you know, the young adult and the college age, that would be them on their own. And this is more about discovery and helping them set up their life and think about the impact that their parents divorce before they start making those life choices. Like I made, why does that fit? 
helping them process through that before they start finding what feels comfortable to them that they haven't resolved in the past. What, what precedes the children that you have in your groups knowing that there is this option? How, how are you working with their parents to then initiate uh, uh, bringing the children in? So I have a, a, I have a basic sort of flagship four-hour Saturday instructional education course, which is Five Steps to Preventing Divorce Abuse. That's for the parents, and that's for any parent. Um, and it's essentially putting the parents uh, be reframed, uh, putting thinking in a child-folk-centric mindset and so I start out with the movie Split, then I talk about divorce abuse, and then from there I start helping the parents understand that they are now, wherever they are in the process, co-parenting is a business relationship where their business is the kids. And help them look at the idea that they need to shift mindsets from the intimate partner relationship mindset. Now, I'm not talking about, oh, you're still kissing or you're still affectionate. That intimate communication and manner is gets stuck. That's where we all kind of get stuck one way or another as parents. And so if you can really shift the mindset and see yourself as having your business partner, 50-50 business partner, your co-parent, and think about how you would relate to this person as a business partner, that helps bring down everything so much. It becomes much easier to read communication and, and say, that's not important. I don't need to respond to that. So this four-hour class essentially gets parents aware of divorce abuse, which is keeping the kids stuck in the middle, helps them reframe their mindset, and then um, gives them skills to communicate more in the business relationship. So when you ask, how do the kids get there? That's my feeder class. So I inform them of this. I also have several other boot camps and then I have a co I have a co-parenting boot camp. So these are the avenues that the parents become aware of how I support the children. Yes. And the needs of the children more than I even think. Well, you know, they're just kids. Um, You know, they'll be fine or they don't really understand. I mean, there's, I just think it's a hard job altogether and, and thank you for doing it. But you used a phrase that nobody else has used and I wanted to ask you where it came from and, and, and just explore it a little bit more. You said divorce abuse. Say what yes. you mean about that again, please. So fundamentally, I define divorce abuse of when a child is not allowed to love both parents and be loved by both parents. That's the simplest way. Ah. When a child in one way does not feel that they are allowed to love both of their parents equally and on their own terms and receive love from both parents, then 
there's lots of ways that plays out, but that is what I coined divorce abuse. And that's the, the impact that many of us have experienced who are products of divorce. And that is where the generational pain and trauma comes in that begins and continues to repeat the cycle generation after generation. Look, divorce for everyone is difficult. You know, the parents, it's like a grieving, the same grieving cycle as death. Um, And kids go through it too. And so if each parent isn't allowed to process through their own grief cycles on their own and support their children in their own grief cycle, that's when we get a mesh. I have this great visual that I give in my um, four-hour course that shows instead of a normal healing like the grief cycle of when you lose a loved one, I put gears on it, like the working gears of, um, you know, a machine gears. And so in divorce, the difference is since the partner's alive with kids, those gears, those cycles don't go as smoothly and they get switched back based on the other parent and depending on the enmeshment and how, how, you know, high conflict with attorneys or how easily you're able to start walking through in the communication pattern, it gets worse. And so, and then that's when the kids, so now you add all those gears mixing themselves up and that's where you have the highest conflict. Nice visual, nice way to explain it. So you were saying in your own backstory that you you kind of alienated one of your own parents. You kind of pushed one of the parents away, or did I hear that incorrectly? I rejected. So um, in this situation, it, it, it's it's double edged sword. Um, one of my parents and I had a rough relationship just on our own communication. Who I was, who she was, my mother, basically. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, after my custody battle and after everything that I was going on with my own life, that my mother and I finally repaired our relationship to the point where I would consider her one of my best friends. Now we never had that. We never had that, but I had to connect all of my issues and understand and not internalize what she was placing on me to be able to allow and put that to the side so that I could then work with her for who she was and accept her for who she was. Um, And that, so in my own personal custody battle is how I learned to reflect again generationally on my communication with my mother. So what happened was I had a rough relationship with my mother. Um, my parents divorced when I was in sixth grade. That then became, um, she then da- emotionally shared too much with me as the oldest sibling. Oh, about the reason for the divorce. Of everything. Yeah. She tried to win me over. My father, the reason 
if you would say the alienation as its term really did not take hold in any way is my father did the most amazing thing, which I modeled with my children, which is another reason why the alienation didn't take hold to the level with my children is Anytime I would go to my father and say something, he basically said, I will not talk about your mother. She is a wonderful person. If you have issues, please go talk to your mother. Wow. He shut it down immediately. Great. And so, and I, you know, back then, I mean, I'm a 50 year old, back then my parents divorced when no one was divorcing. So it was very common for, I lived predominantly with my mother and only saw my father every other weekend in the same town, but right. So the compounding for my life with my mother was our own communication dynamics itself and then divorcing the communication. And she tried to overpower me and control me. And, uh, and then place blame. And I just was too strong of a willed of a person. I just kept saying no, and rejecting, rejecting. So when I left for college, I just basically rejected completely and just stopped communication. I just didn't want to have any more of it. So parental alienation can take place in two ways, if, if I'm hearing you right. It can either come from the parents who are alienating you, one parent from another parent, um, either restricting the visitation schedule or communicating negatively about the other parent to the point where the child loses interest maybe, or it can happen from the child choosing not to be with a parent. Is that what you're saying? Actually, no. So I would say when I use the word divorce abuse, when the child is not allowed to choose to love both their parents mm -hmm. and on their terms and to be loved by both parents, that's divorce abuse. That's where parental alienation, the coin parental alienation comes from. There's something going on and that is with, is not allowing the children to have a relation, their God right and their birthright to have a relationship with both their parents. They, on their terms, in my uh, experience, personal experience, essentially, my mother did the bad mouthing of my father and tried, you know, in having me not Intentionally or unintentionally, I do, you know, I think it was actually in her case, I think there was a basis of fear that she was in her spot. I think she was working in her own state of fear and um, her words were, were in her mind, maybe trying to protect me. Um, in my case, my father didn't allow it, you know, that to enter and I chose he wanted me to love both my parents. So I, on my own, rejected, different. So from that standpoint, I chose my own relationship never to completely cut off, but I basically was pushed back very hard um, there in that relationship. I had the choice though. I got to choose to, to love both my parents. I got to choose my relationship. Okay, and speaking of which, with 
children of a certain age, do you support them choosing their own co-parenting relationship and schedule? It's a really, that's a very, very, very difficult, uh, it's very case specific. So I would say I do not believe that the children should have the choice to make a decision who they get to live with in the court system. I do not believe that that supports a child's choice. I believe that forces games to be played. So it's very specific because then the parents are warring and the kids are being tugged and put in the middle. So in the court system, that and the age group, you know, the kids should have their voice in the courts. And um, that is a very harmful, stressful thing for the kids. Well, I don't mean the kids going to court um, because I work with mostly people who don't go to court, but I just mean in general. Where, what is your thinking on, and, and I understand case specific and age makes a difference as well. Um, what, what should parents do if the children say, look, this schedule would work better for me and presents an overnight schedule different than the parents have given them? I mean, what do you think? I, I absolutely, if then they say, family meeting, right? They put together a family meeting. They try to talk about that. And then the parents say, thank you very much. We want to honor what you're saying. And then the parents take it and have a discussion and bring back what works for them. But absolutely having an opinion and, um, and hearing and from the children and then coming back together and discussing because a child's perspective of what's going to work for them is in any teenager's mind, very child centric. Right. And so as long as the parents are able in whatever form using mediation to do it, as long as that includes, you know, using a family therapist to do it without the kids, how, if they are able to understand and hear both sides and, and, and collaborate and, see what's best for the kids. Absolutely. Excellent. Now you also mentioned a video and it's not long. It's about 20 or 30 minutes long split. I happened to, uh, I didn't personally meet, but I heard her talk, Ellen Bruno, who produced the film. It was for a child uh, visitation, custody, parenting seminar that the LA County Bar put on some years ago. So Ellen came down to talk about it. That was born out of her own custody issues and divorce with, they had one child, if I remember correctly. And it was so stressful to Ellen to watch that go on with the court getting involved. It's always stressful when the court gets involved. I mean, when you need the court, you need the court. But if you don't need to go to court, so much better to stay out of court and use other professionals to help you with these decisions. But here's what I thought was so magnificent about that video split. There were, I don't know, about six or seven children interviewed, only children, ages, I believe, five or six up to around 13 or 14. And they talked about all the things that 
the parents think the kids are going to worry about. So they voice that, you know, will I still see my friends? Am I going to go to the same school? What if I forget something at the other house and I have a school project the next day? What about the pets? I mean, it's everything you would think your child is worried about, they are worried about. The thing I thought was so encouraging and why I too believe every parent should watch this video is that at the end of all of that, each and every child, regardless of their age, said the same thing. None of that mattered as long as their parents were getting along. Exactly. Exactly. It's so important for the kids. I mean, they, it, it's change. Divorce is a change for everyone. Sometimes it's welcoming. If, if within the marriage, the kids are observing and seeing the conflict, it's welcoming enough if they don't see that conflict repeat when they're out, uh, you know, when it's now separate households and they still see it repeating. So kids, divorce in itself does not have to be traumatic for children if the parents can move, like I talked about, to a business relationship and put the decisions like you asked, you talked about changing to, um, if the kids present, this would work better for me. And the parents can actually negotiate and come up with a decision that works for the family. Then there's no trauma there. The trauma ends for the children really ends up being when they feel as the title of the movie split when they are ending up being pulled and not being allowed to love to choose to get to love both parents because somehow they're feeling pulled in whatever it can be even in the loving lovingly loving I can't say it no you even, said it right lovingly lovingly manner a parent might be talking to a child and might with all good intentions be wanting to help their child through something but it's the tone or the sadness or even the sense of the parent feeling as a victim so presenting in a body language or a tone kids know us better than anyone that that ends up making them feel, oh no, I got to protect this parent. Oh no, this parent isn't. And that's when that starts seeping into their body and the, the childhood gets taken away from the child. The experience of childhood begins to be taken away. Yeah, nice that you mentioned that because that's safe, secure, nothing can happen. Mom and dad are going to take care of me. I'll just live my kid's life. That is challenged. That is in jeopardy. You know, I can well, I can well imagine. You used a phrase, though, I want to circle back to. A decision that works for the family. When you were saying, well, okay, so the children may want to voice a different schedule and the parents listen, you said call a family meeting, the parents listen, and then they go back and look at what works for the entire family. There's so much in that 
concept and, and those phrases that you use that I, I wanted to flesh that out a little bit more. Because, yes, a divorce means that the two adults will no longer be working together and functioning together in an intimate way. But they will always be a family connected by their children. And so I think you just hit some really key points about you, you can't lose sight of the fact that this is still a family, but a family living in two households. It's so important. That's another visual that I have in this four-hour course that is one of my key senses. It, it's actually um, a tree with also the roots underneath. And if we think about the fact that our children are made of us, both parents, the DNA in us, so they have the roots and that is our family. And at the, the children will grow and flourish without trauma and be successful emotionally, physically, and mentally in their adult lives. If the parents allow for it to continue to be a family unit. This is always the family. You cannot, it's DNA. They share both of the parents' DNA. They will always have a family. They will be in two houses, but that is the family unit. And it's only going to grow and flourish and add step-parents and step-siblings and half-siblings Great, that's adding to the family unit. But for a child, their family is my mom and my dad. You can't take that away. It does not matter where it is. And when a parent or one parent, even intentionally or not, tries to think of it as, I'm never going to deal with that person again, that is essentially telling a child in one way, whether they recognize it or not, there is a self-loathing. That means part of me you don't want to deal with because I have part of that person in me. And it is exactly what happens subconsciously in their brain. Not enough is spoken about that. Really and truly, not enough is spoken about that because all the cues and the signals and the underlying um, feelings, I guess, are communicated non-verbally sometimes or in tone of voice, as you mentioned earlier, that tone of voice means everything. And saying, I never have to deal with this person again, and God, it was so hard, you know, I, uh, that's okay, you'll deal with them, and then I'll deal with them, and we'll pay the bills. And it really, it can't work like that, because it's not just about paying the bills and buying the kids the things they need. It's, it's no. all these other intangibles. It is, you know, um, in my own experience, when I had mentioned earlier that my mom, it may be intentionally or unintentionally because of her own fears and concerns would place things on me out of concerns. What she didn't realize is, and what I think all parents don't realize, it's very hard to subdue this in a parent. Children know each of their individual parents better than the other parent does. And they are so much more capable to take care of themselves directly with that parent than the other parent. So in my case, whatever my mom's fears were about my dad, whatever she could predict, honestly, she wasn't married to him anymore. And there's nothing she can do. There's nothing she can do. 
yet my dad still loves me, still shows. So I know who he is and I have more influence and I have full eyes and I know what I know how to navigate in a different way because I am the child than the partner. And that is something there are many, many, many times where uh, the children know better. The children know what to do. They're more resourceful. And even in the end, um, let's talk about parental alienation, just where um, children are now adults and um, they have repaired their relationship with the parent that they did not have previously. Those adult children are sometimes the only person that is able to work with the parent that, you know, basically was the reason for cutting, shutting down the love for the other parent to shift and heal them because they know, and they know that parents, they're the person that's going to help shift that parent to heal it. Um, I like that you said, sometimes the kids can be the better problem solvers than the parents. They simplify things. They see things from a different perspective. They don't have the animosity between, I mean, the animosity is between the two parents if there is animosity. And so the kids don't have that to blind them to equitable, amicable solutions. Right. No, I, you know, I want to caution, of course, when there is severe, when there is physical or you know, when there is true abuse going on, this is, I'm not talking about this. Right. Um, but there are lots of little fears like, that go on about, are you going to have warm enough clothes? Is your parent, are your parent, right? There's just, are you feeding them enough? Are they going to bed at the same time? Are they getting their homework done? Like these things, right? These are actually also good life skills for children to learn because as adults, they will have to work with different other adult type of personalities. Life isn't perfect. And so learning how to navigate and between different types of environments is a very good life skill for children to learn. Agreed on that. Agreed. Um, Communication strategies. So everything is about communication. I mean, so much, so many difficult situations can be handled amicably if the communication is there. Talk to us about what your services, how you approach communication, what classes do you do, how do you work with bettering the communication between parents? Um, well, first, it, back to that shift of intimate partner relationship to business relationships. So let's fundamentally start there. It is so important for parents, co-parents, what shared parenting, because there's lots of people are now thinking about parallel parenting as different from co-parenting. So I will say share parenting. Oh, that's true. That's true. In parallel parenting, the parents really don't talk to one another. Correct. So when I'm... It, so I am talking about when you share parenting here, um, and it is so important to shift 
the mindset to see it as a business relationship. And when you start thinking about a business relationship, any business partnership, there's always negotiations. There's always, there will be disagreements and there will be decisions that need to be made. How you deal with your business partner or you end up not having your business partner, but in this case, we cannot sell our share. So we're going... <laughs> Funny way to put it, yeah. <laughs> we cannot sell or buy the other person's share of this partner relationship. So we have to make this partnership work. So when we start thinking about that, that is the first foremost thing when you talk about communication. So the second thing is to evaluate How did your communication work when you were happily communicating? And as I talked about in my, you know, first marriage, it became very apparent when I looked back, actually, we did not do that well. That was one of our problems. So in our divorce, what we didn't get, which is where I'm, you know, working up front for people that are in this Um, scenario. In our divorce, we should have had tools in place within our parenting plan that recognized um, that we didn't know how to negotiate. We could not come to an agreement in our, when we were in an intimate relationship. Thus, we needed a document and we needed to set up things that would recognize that that's not a strength for us. So when I'm talking about communication with the parents, it's first, understand we're in the business partnership. Second, evaluate when you were in the intimate and be real honest. If it was okay and you actually could negotiate and you would were able to rationally have discussions and collaborate and, and come up with a decision that worked for the family, well, then your agreement can be more fluid when you're co-parenting and your partnership can be more fluid. But if you're in a place where that wasn't, then let's check in with that and let's start thinking about the fact that you didn't communicate very well previously. And so now we need to think about how we will communicate in our business relationship. And what that means is emotions are out. Whether the other person ends up sending emotions your way. It does not matter. You are not you as your, you own yourselves and your tone and your words and your body language. So all one parent can own is that. So respond only about the business, which is the kids school, you know, drop off times, specifically about the children and their needs and all the emotions don't need to be discussed. So Bill Eddy, you know, um, books on high conflict is a great first start. Once parents actually see and understand that the communication is difficult, I point them to that, to, to start talking about brief, informative, friendly, and firm. Um, Love right? That. Love it. It works in all relationships. It works in any relationship. It works in business if you're talking to somebody and yes. it gets a little out of hand. Right. Or friends. I mean, anybody. It works. Right. It just works anywhere. And then the next is 
the, th- the three main levels that we communicate. So tone that we use and tone, actually, there's a huge tone that comes with text messages and emails, whether you know it or not. And the way you th- read a tone versus the way the other person reads the tone are 10 times different. That's why that type of communication is almost becomes more difficult. I mean, um, prior to me being uh, my, a life coach and incorporating um, in my corporate America, one of the jobs that I walked into, one of the first complaints of in the department that I was um, overseeing from the employees as they were feeling very stressed out why the company culture was the, the main bosses worked all weekend. The employees showed up on Monday and got emails from the bosses all weekend. So they walked in Monday morning stressed out because they had a slew of email messages from their bosses over the weekend. They took that tone as they've got to work harder. The bosses had no idea. But it's those little things when you talk about communication to really pay attention to what is being carried forward and how someone else might receive it and keep it as clear and business focused as possible while still friendly. Okay. So I totally get all that. In the communication between the parents, there are different ways we can communicate, right? We have text, we have email, we have phone, and then we have in person. But remote communication are those three forms. I understand when it's just easy, breezy, hey, I'm going to be at the kids' ball game at 3.30, you're going to be there, or something like that. So that's easy, breezy stuff. But when it's a little bit more intense, maybe you're making decisions over where to go to summer camp. I mean, that can be a big issue because it's so unbelievably expensive. Oh, yes. Um, and then you have to choose schedules and all this stuff. But So when you have a little bit more sensitive uh, communication that could get intense, do you try working with people to get them to communicate verbally so tone of voice, real tone of voice can be there? Or what is your approach? You know, it's going to really depend on the co-parenting situation. So in my um, own experience, I actually have my co-parents say, the moment I see you, I'm enraged. I, the moment I see you and the moment that I hear your voice, it enrages me. So no, that would not work. All right. I get it. Okay. <laughs> right. So it depends how it does. It really depends on that dynamics. And then with the individual, that's where in a one-on-one coaching with one of the parents only, because I don't work with both the parents at the same time. So it would be to help understand and be help them become aware of their dynamics and then help teach them the skills that are going to work best for them. So if in their dynamics, uh, any communication in person is not good for either side and it's email, then we're going to work on strengthening how we send and deliver those emails and how we thoughtfully plan and how maybe we suggest we get 
a mediator for this one decision or a therapist for this one decision at certain points. If there are, I mean, there's so many things like the COVID, you know, the COVID decisions right now and oh, all that. But oh my God, they're right, in the summer room. camp. Yeah. But the, I mean, things like, okay, kids need to decide where, um, where they're going to go to middle school and high school, right? Maybe now it's private, not pri- maybe the parents are, want, have options. And now, so helping them think through, and then maybe there is a, a conversation. Um, but if the parents can't, are still emotionally reacted to physically being in the same room with each other, then no. I know that's hard. I, I, I mean, believe me, I know that's hard. So in your case, when your husband becomes enraged when he sees you, what form of communication did you use? Well, um, essentially, so we were divorced in 2008. And the first time our, our, our co-parenting relationship became increasingly high conflict. Um, and so in uh, the first time we had to go, the first time we were back in court was 2011. And our family wizard was... What was ordered in 2011 for us, and in our situation, um, our family wizard and these co-parenting apps are phenomenal when you know how to use them appropriately. And so, in our situation, I found tremendous relief. I was not; get, I was able to move all the communication. off of text, but for emergencies. And I was able to turn on monitors that basically I got to check my email only when I chose to check it, when I was in a calm space and was ready, when children were asleep or not during my time. And if they weren't during my time, there was no way in heck I would send an email when they were with him. So I was able to maybe craft it but I wouldn't send it. And so there, it's just thinking about all those interesting ways to put yourself from a business again in the right mindset of you have, I mean, the best way I was thinking about this before our conversation started, because, you know, there's passionate things when you talk about emotions that all parents can say, well, I'm not the one. It's really the other person. I'm going to tell you today that I know 101 ways of how I could have changed my actions and de-escalated now today that I was not aware back then because I wasn't conscious. I know so many things I could have done to um, change things. One, I was thinking of it as a business relationship, except when I got all these emotional emails in our family wizard, that brought me back and I reacted defensively. I immediately responded and defended myself for things that didn't need to be defended, should have just not ignored. And that, if I was working with my business hat, I would have known there's nothing in here that has to do about the children. There's nothing that I need to do. So I was not emotionally tied to him intimately. However, the communication was still, I was still connected that way. 
and still triggered that way. Yeah. And with our family wizard, I know there's a few more products out there, but our family wizard is still the predominant one court ordered. And what it does is for anybody who's never heard of it, it pulls words that may be uh, uh, set up to fuel, potentially fuel high conflict. Doesn't it pull the words out or it red flags and said, can you say it this way? It, as a device, I, I guess it was the first form of um, uh, a, uh, AI. And yeah, they call it tone meter, um, and it's absolutely fabulous. Where it basically reads your email and says, "This is a little red flag. Are you sure you want to do this?" So it calls those things out from the tone meter, and and the app actually has so many other fabulous things. I, I actually always used it not on like a phone app. I always used it on the computer. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it saves all the messages. It keeps a record. You can put your parenting calendar in there. You actually can say if you want to trade and swap because of it, you can put everything within it such, and then you just put it into the machine, you know, and you ask for a tra- trade swap and your other partner can say yes or no. Then you don't even have to ask or put reasons in there. You just put a little detail. So if used correctly, um, and usually it can be a really great tool to help de-escalate a situation and, and provide a, more time to start thinking in that business framework. Yes. And also, don't you think that the timing of when communication is sent is important? For instance, if it's not an emergency, sending during the day may not be the best idea because we have to work during the day. It's great to be able to focus on our work. And if it's not an emergency either send it at night or maybe make a pack that you will respond at night or when you're not working, so you have a clear head, something like that? I I think, you know, that's what I said about Our Family Wizard. I I said one of the beauties for me from using an app, and I know there are other apps. I haven't worked with them specifically, but the beauty of that is it's arm's distance such that – you can choose to log in and then see, and time doesn't matter. So when the parent sends, has, so that also goes away. So it does not matter when it's sent, because to be honest, if we start as co-parents really trying to anticipate, yes, it's conscientious and thoughtful, but if we try to think all the way to what they're doing, we'll never be able to anticipate every step that the other parent is doing. Quite frankly, if we were, then we're too enmeshed in this new, their new life. <laughs> right. Okay. So with our family wizard, unlike email, email comes. I mean, whoever sends us emails, you never know who you're going to get an email from. It's in front of us during the day because most of us are on email during the day. But my, our family wizard is an app and you only know that you're being communicated to if you open up the app. Well, you can right? set that says you just got a new email, but you can also say, I don't want to know that. So if you're not on a parenting app, 
then yes, these are clear boundaries. And this is so super important. Um, I wrote recently, uh, my blog in December was about healthy internal boundaries. And I think in all your life, no matter if you're divorcing or not, assessing one's own internal boundaries be is so important because when you are clean and crisp about your own boundaries, then you don't have to put your hand out in a defensive manner and say no in which you vile, you've, no, I don't want you to do that because somebody's going to receive that as um, being shut down. So they're going to become more aggressive. So what your boundaries are, and then in a business relationship, essentially of this co-parenting, you essentially say, um, in my world, this is what's going to work for me. So just know, I'm not telling you how to do it, but just know I will be reviewing emails from this time and this time. If there is an immediate emergency deemed such as da-da-da-da, the best way to get me would be to text me here. Otherwise, please know I will respond within and whatever that is. Now you've decided what your boundary for what you want to do of how you would communicate using email. That's so freeing. That is absolutely so freeing to be able to control your own time, control your own day, um, be there when, you know, because you are going to get back to them, but not to lay yourself open to somebody else's schedule of communication. And that's not to be harsh. No. Just we all have to do that, even in business, depending on how many projects we have, what our work is, we have to segment time. I mean, would you tell your boss, I mean, you're going to, you always tell your boss or you tell your colleagues how you work. You say, I mean, so it's the same three. You would say to your business peer that you're working on a, a project, even if it's a time deadline and you need to get something done and you're frantically, you would say, hey, dude, you know, here's the hours that I'm going to work. Otherwise, the rest I'm carving out so I am re-energizing. If you need something, urgently text me. Otherwise, this is where you can reach me during these hours. That's what you would say. And this it's is no when different. I'm going to be available to communicate back. Yeah. And it's I no will different. communicate back. Yeah. It's no different than your co-parent. Same idea. You know, to an extreme, uh, I had a client who needed to go and use, needed an attorney at a certain point. And the attorney that he chose was one of the most well-known divorce attorneys in one of the South counties in California. The attorney only took new meetings. Are you ready for this? At 6 a.m. in the morning until court opened at 8.30 because he was in court most of the time because he was a litigator and that's where he had to be for his clients. And so new meetings were at 6 a.m. Court closes at 4.30 and attorneys who are at court a lot will then go back to their offices and then they'll bang out the work they need to do. And their clients then know, okay, so the communication is going to come later in the afternoon from the attorney, maybe differently from the paralegals in the office and the legal secretaries. But I thought that was so cool. I said, gosh, and he's so confident because he's successful that he can choose this unusual time that he meets with new clients and new clients say fine. 
we, we want to talk to you, fine. That's what it, I mean, it's exact, that's how we need to, and that's why I said one of the first things when you're, uh, when somebody starts a divorce is to really start thinking about what they want for their future life, set that before they go and do the divorce and design, decide the design their divorce and negotiate, where do you want to be for you and your kids and, and for your life in five years? And then you look internally and look at your boundaries. I mean, this, I had to reassess, I constantly have to reassess because my personal boundary that I violate myself so I don't have a hard enough firm boundary is I get so engaged in my work in creating something that I am not firm about my exercise routine. And I I do that. This is my, you know, up and down in my life. And I always am reassessing and always trying to figure out how I can create more of a firmness within myself to withhold that boundary as the most important thing to me. Because when I do, it, it, I have more energy. I'm a happier person. <laughs> All of those things go along. And it's, it's just easy to say, oh, no, I don't need to tell people that I'm not available for this hour and a half because I'm doing something. I just, I'm busy. And there's no putting walls around me. It's just, here's, it is what it is. Right. And I think people pretty much know 24 hours after the email at the very latest 48, that generally everybody I know in this business, you have a 24 hour business day to business day turnaround. Weekends are, of course, generally off limits. Generally. Right. Yeah. This hour has gone extremely fast, Janet. It really has. I, I appreciate everything you've had to say and share. I know people are going to want to contact you. Even though this is going to be in the show notes, would you please give them best way? Yes, I think the best way would be to just go ahead and email me personally. So it's at jprice at jp coaching and consulting.com ampersine or the word and for and so j p r i c e at j p coaching a n d consulting.com and i believe that the email would be the best they could just reach out and then from there i offer um for anybody i offer free 50 minute strategy sessions they can find that on, it's, it's called the Complimentary uh, Coaching Strategy Session, and that's on my website. So they can schedule, that's my calendar directly, and it'll show my openings there. But I think best, you know, through this podcast, if they just say, I heard you, you know, and then we Perfect. could go from there. Right. Perfect, Janet. Now I will release you to your lovely Malibu environment. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. I'm so je- And you kept the house after the Wolseley fire. I mean, that's, that was huge. That was. Actually- yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it makes you appreciate even more and more um, where you are. And yeah. Uh, Isn't that true? The small yeah. things. Yes, yeah. it really does. 
So thank you again, Janet. Thank you, Judith, for having me. It was really lovely conversation. And and I would love to come back and have that other discussion. I've so many life lessons for myself while choosing to become a stay-at-home mom of all those other, I mean, that's going to so be so many eye-opening things that I did not realize until even 10 years later. Okay. I, I wrote it down so that I don't forget it because I think that's an excellent topic. So thank you very much. And thank all of you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. I th- hope you have found this helpful to keep as much of an amicable disposition as possible, either in your individual life or in your co-parenting life. You can reach me through my email address, Judith at the amicable what excuse me at the amicable divorce expert.com subscribe tell your friends and as always have an amicable day that's our show for today thank you for joining us be good to yourselves be kind to your spouse and cherish your children above all else 